Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. Welcome to Crunch Time. Delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X. Built tough. The Parker shark, but impressively, it's all one-on-ones ahead. McDonald looked like he was in the best spot. Ball to the front. Gorn did the rest. He picked it up cleverly and off the left boot. He's put through Melbourne's second goal and he is mighty pleased with himself. McStay hand passes it around to Coleman, who shot it off to Bailey, who doesn't miss in those scenarios. He kicked it to the top of the square. McInerney had a chance. Only Zach Bailey could flash through and kick a goal like that out of the air. Adams leaves his man, which leaves him vulnerable. Petrarca summed it up magnificently. Hit the pack at pace and kicks his second goal. Wiedemann looks the most likely. He couldn't quite drag it down. Jared Lyons forced the handball through. Pickett read it beautifully and dribbled it through. They have stopped Brisbane. They are providing no opposition. He turns around and from long range, Sparrow flies one through. Another goal to the Dees. There's no stopping them now. And so it ends on a Friday night. Melbourne with their best win yet. From 20 points down at half time, they mow down the lines by 22. We always want to be in a position where expectations are there because it creates pressure and ultimately to do what you want to do, you've got to be able to perform under pressure. You know, we're wrapped for our supporters to be where we are. We know we've got a lot of work to do. We understand there's a lot of excitement with our supporters and internally with our playing group. But our challenge is to keep improving, to keep stepping up to these challenges and, and make sure we're ready to go when it when the time comes. And um, yeah, these type of experiences tonight will hold this group in great stead because uh, they're going to be challenged all the way through the year. Melbourne further enhances its case and its claims comprehensively, taking down the two key challenges on consecutive Friday nights. Coach Simon Goodwin, straight off the plane from Sydney, is our headline guest. They're still... I suppose a hangover in relation to, to salary cap. We've still got some um, 
some issues we're dealing with there, but I mean, they're not insurmountable at all. I think Jeff said that four of the members should stand down so he can become president. The board's very strong on this. Not one board member will be standing down, let alone four. For me, um, I wouldn't be serving under the leadership of someone of Jeff Brown, who's coming together with an agenda of power and privilege. There's been that much change that has taken place. I believe the people that are on the current board are the right people to take the club forward. Every aspect of Collingwood is on trial. The boardroom battle is on with the coach choosing sides. The salary cap situation might not be entirely resolved and the Magpies have endured rigid quarantine to face the Crows later today. I want to say specifically that we are not envisaging hubs. Um, they are a last-term resort. I'd probably lean to going home, I think, just for the fact that um, you've been in the position before where you get told you're going away for 30 days and you end up being away for 120. My main priority is my family. I have noticed occasionally it does get kicked into the crowd. If you are at Adelaide Oval and the ball comes towards you, my um, advice to you is to duck and just do not touch that ball. And an air of the absurd sets in as the AFL attempts to navigate the COVID matrix. Melbourne's extended lockdown sees the Queen's birthday moved to Sydney as alterations to the fixture loom. This is the round 12 edition of Crunch Time. There's no doubting the D's. They sit atop the table at 11-1, and one, taking down the white-hot Brisbane Lions from a position of vulnerability at halftime. Jared Whaley with you. Justin Lepich is with me on Crunch Time. Lepper, welcome. G'day, Jared. What do you think? Uh, uh, it was actually a terrific game it last was. night. It was really enjoyable to watch two great contested teams go at it, hard at it, and um, we just saw... And I love... One, one thing that's great about Melbourne, you just keep ticking the boxes on the way through, and... At halftime, we all probably sat there and thought, oh, well, here's another opportunity for them. Are they going to lay down and die? Or are they going to keep reminding us that they are a premiership contender? And they did that. Nick Del Santo, welcome. Good morning, guys. Lovely to see you all. Yeah, I love last night's game as a whole. I love the contest. I love the little battles within the big war. I love the ability of a team, Jared, to identify that things aren't going right in the first half, as the Ds did, and actually do something about it at the time. Not wait until Monday. Not wait until a review to be told by your coaches. Actually go out for the remainder of that game and get the game back on your terms and ultimately go away with a really good win. So I thought it was just a fantastic game from different perspectives. And Sam Edmund rounds out our quartet. Hello, Sam. Good to be here, gentlemen. Like Nicky, Nicholas Berry would say, Jared, lots of sweaty men running around last <laughs> night, but magnificent to watch. I mean, Christian Petraka said it was boring in the yeah. first half. Well, that might have been the case, but for Melbourne, it was like Magic Mountain in the second half. How exciting was it? Good on them. I mean, they've beaten the Lions, Geelong, smashed the Dogs, beaten Richmond. Have to be the flag favourites now, don't they, the Ds? Without question. Yeah, they have to be. Um, and look, I just love the way they're playing, even from the first round when we, we called them here on SEN and they had their defensive tactics in place and, and they were a bit untidy with the ball. But now they've got their ball movement up and flying and, and now they've got some flow in their game, some run overlap also, which gives their forwards great opportunity. They're, they're scoring. Their defence will still be in good, good shape, but they're scoring all now increase in the back half. So in the accrual of experiences across the course of a season where you are going to be challenging at the pointy end, a game like last night against a, a red-hot team, one of the absolute contenders, they have the better of you. They, they make you defensively vulnerable in a way that you hadn't necessarily been in any other game. They force you into boring ball movement and they beat you pointless at the contest. How important is it to then respond at halftime and to reset the game instantly? You could see in the first 90 seconds after the break that the game had flipped. 
firstly, it's good coaching as well because whether it was strategically that that was spoken about, it'd be good to talk to Simon Goodwin about it, or it was more emotionally what he spoke about. More, he more went, went in with the messaging, like, guys, this is not how we play. Come on, let's think about this. If he went in that strategy, or it might have been something specific, because we know the ball movement did sharpen up from Melbourne's perspective, but they didn't touch the ball in the yeah. first half. They only what 110 odd. 124 disposals and 18 yeah. inside 50s for the best team in the competition. And I think it was that first conversation where you wouldn't say it flippantly, but I think if you're Simon Goodwin, you look at the guys going, hey, let's just get back on our terms. Let's play the game that we want to play, and we'll be right back in the game. A poster coming in, you know, smashing heads and, you know, ripping paint off the wall. But you're right, it wasn't necessarily anything tactical, in my opinion, in that second half. It was the intent, and it was the purpose of that group. And you're you're spot on, Jared. You could see within the first minute of the third quarter, it just felt different. You know, even though the margin was 20 points as they went in at halftime, it felt like they were right back in it within minutes of that third quarter. You could tell Brisbane mids were really sweating on Petrarca and Oliver, which which means basically getting on the back of them, forcing them into the into the contest and winning on the outside. They're doing a really good job of doing that. Those boys probably only had six or seven touches in the first half. Mm. Both had around 20 in the second half. So they, they were almost the barometer of their team, in essence, in the second half of the game. But they got that centre square up and going. They ended up kicking three goals from centre bounce and, and, and really gave their forwards first use. But the thing is, Brisbane's forwards were really good. It's just in the second half, it just dried mm. up so terribly for mm. them. They didn't get opportunities like they did in the first. Did last night also show us, and we often try and predict what's going to happen in a game and where the game's going to be won or lost. And we love to go to the forward lines of each team. Oh, it's got to be won by the big forwards of the lines, for example. But last night, once again, was all about the engine room. It was all about the midfield, who could control the stoppages, who could get the contested possession, then ultimately get it on the outside to be able to control the game. I thought it was so significant. Clayton Oliver had eight disposals in the first half. Mm. Eight disposals. It's not much for one of the best players in the comp. But then able to flick the switch, get it back on his terms, and has 18 and a huge influence in the second half. I thought it was just so dominant and so prominent about who could control the middle of the ground. How good's Christian Petrarca? Yeah, his second half was amazing. You know what I love when Christian's playing, and one thing he he's really confident in now, well, if you have a bad quarter or a bad half for Christian Petrarca, well, I can actually stand up, fend someone off, and they just cannot tackle me. Like It's a great thing to come back to, to go, if I'm at my best, no one can do anything about it. And I'd love to have that feeling in the game. Like Dustin Martin must have that feeling. You're right, all I have to do is play at my best. And actually, no one's good enough. Mm. And he is sort of that guy now. They tried to tackle him. He just threw him aside, bust through them. Whatever he was doing, it was it was just working because all the preseason work he's done, all the work he's done in the offseason, and how obviously hard he's worked, it, it just makes him so hard to play against. The thing I noticed about his game last night is, and this is why he is becoming more of a rounded player and one of the best in the competition, he's his cruising speed, his ability to get from contest to contest is exceptional. It's now elite, or at least at the top end of the AFL standard. He's always had those moments of brilliance. You know, he'll bust through a pack and he'll kick a goal like he did last night. That crumb and then that finish from tight on the boundary line was superb. And he's always had those glimpses and moments in games. And I think he would have almost frustrated Melbourne supporters of years gone by. But now he does everything else that comes with it. He gets the easy touch when he has to get it. He's part of a passage of play when he has to be. And then you just sprinkle in the cream on top with those goals. You're right. The ability to walk into a game and say, if I turn up and have the right mentality, have the right right work rate, no one can go with me. Mm. No one can tackle me. And, and on top of what you just spoke about, Lep, but Dusty does this as well. They accept to tackle now. There are so many plays in the competition. As soon as they feel that pressure... They give off a handball and, and pass that pressure on to someone else. Petrarca, Dusty, 
Dangerfield at his very best. They accept the tackle. They say, you can try and tackle me, but I'm still giving it off on my terms, and therefore that passage of play can continue. James Harms isn't Christian Petraka by any stretch, but since he came back into the side in round eight, he offers something really... We know the high profile... He made headlines last week, the job he did on Libba, but just in and around the contest, he provides a nice balance to those ball winners. I really like James Harms in, in that midfield. He had that uh, fractured wrist earlier in the season, of course. He's as important as anyone left, I reckon. Yeah, he was the one in the first half that was actually their yeah. only mid probably that was keeping them in the game, so to speak. Um, and then in the second half, the, what, the guns we, we call um, are the ones that took over in the game. But uh, he has been a really important player for them because there's, there's nothing, you know, they will target Petrarca, they'll target Oliver, but Harms is always the one that can do a bit of both. He can mm. win the ball himself, but also he can target an opposition. So it's good to have a player that can do multiple things um, through any line, really. But the, the midfield, it's really handy. Would you always have Harms as a go-to of the opposition's best player. Do you think that that role should be played out for the remainder of this year if you're Melbourne? No, I think he can do more than that, to be honest. I think he does that role really well, but he's got an ability to win the ball as well. Mm. So, you know, and, and he's got the ability to concentrate. A lot of the guns don't like playing on other players, so it's always good to have one or two that don't mind, <laughs> yes. you know, being next to somebody. Yes. Um, so, yeah, and, and Nigel Appen was pretty good at that. He was a gun player himself, but always was happy also to go to someone yeah. if he needed to be. Um, Sean Hart the same when I played. So there's, you've always got to have one or two that are happy to stand next to the opposition when they need to. And they've got Jack Viney to come back in yeah. too. Gee, they bat deep forgot in there. Jack Viney's still to, about They've got to fit we? him back in. So yeah. as well. So there's some selection headaches coming up in the next fortnight. So in a week where the halfway mark... Um, all Australian teams were done and Tom McDonald was either on the periphery or not and Cosie Pickett had lost his early claims to Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. They both put up three second-half goals, so six between them. Cosie had six shots at goal for the night, three goals three, and McDonald kicked three goals two. Yeah, backing over Dell's point, it was all it was all Brisbane forwards in the first half. Zach Bailey, Eric Hipwood, it was like, geez, how many of these guys are going to mm. kick? And in the second half, we almost forgot those performances of those boys because it became about McDonald and and Pickett and those guys just dominating and getting shots on goal. So it was it was a, it was a funny game. You said the midfield dominance gave us the forward opportunities, and the Melbourne forwards were starved in the first half, and the Brisbane in the second. Uh, I'm I'm really intrigued how the two coaches go to school on this particular game. I thought when Melbourne started breaking the game by hand. Hands. Um, Brisbane's don't, don't have that extra behind the ball. They like to keep even numbers ahead of the ball, which is like anything, like any chess game, where you're going to put your pieces. Well, they don't support it with their back 50 as much. So if you can break the line, you'll get, you'll get space over the back against Brisbane. Whereas Melbourne, if you break the line, they've always got that goalkeeper in place. So it's harder to break that final line. So it's, I'm going to be, it's going to be interesting next time they play mm. what they actually do from the coaches. I was driving in this morning, Jared, and I was thinking about you talking about Tom McDonald and watching you on AFL 360. And I know the love that you have for the man, the story that all goes behind. And we keep bringing up a man that was offered to every other club oh. and everyone said, oh, thank you. But no, thank you. We'll pass on Tom McDonald. We don't need him. Ben Brown comes into the football club to be part of this forward line. He now can't get a game because of the form of Tom McDonald, who's in all Australian contention. Nine disposals he had in the second half. All were involved in scores. Nine disposals for nine score involvements. His ability now to do multiple things as the lead-up forward, as the pack marker, as the, as the goal kicker, he's a threat and a triple threat in regards to trying to find a great matchup for him, knowing that Wiedemann's next to him, Bailey Fritch is that sort of hybrid... They are creating so many headaches for the opposition defence to say, well, who do you want to play on him? And if you want to play that style on Tom McDonald, we'll, we'll make him that runner player today. Can't wait to ask Simon Goodwin about Tom McDonald. They couldn't give him away, That Jared. doesn't make any sense, The massive Sammy. contract that he had 2018 when he was, that was the last time he was flying. He had no takers at the price. Went away, stripped some weight, 
went about getting up and down the ground again like he did a few years ago. How's the turnaround? How is Isn't that the reason, Mark? Like the, you, you put in the work. You, you, you do extra work yeah. in the off-season. And what we're seeing now is the final product. But that, it's half the stuff that the coaches can't fix now. Mm. If you've had a poor preseason, you haven't done the work, or you've been injured so you can't do it, whatever it is, you can't fix a lot of this stuff now. He's now in putting himself in a position. That goal he kicked on the 50-meter line is a great example. The ability to get semi-low to the ground, grab the ball, quickly settle and kick. Oh, Tom McDonald to me is is always been a kind of a robot, so to speak. In a, he's not athletic type. You're not thinking Daryl White. You're not thinking those yeah. type of players. You think mm-hmm. someone's pretty rigid. He's doing things now that at his if he's fit, you know, strong and he can do. But if he's not, he probably can't. He probably drops the ball there, gets done holding the ball, whatever it is. But he's doing things now in his yep. game. Even the pluck out of the rock, quickly settle, snap goal. They're things that he's bringing into his game that he probably, if he's not fully fit, I, I, I don't know whether those style of players can do things like that. Yeah. Jared, you've been doing this for a long time in regards to covering football. Can you remember a man that has changed their form from being, say, really good or really solid to, oh, my God, this could be the end of his career to being back to this point? Can, can you remember a story in your time that could be any better than Tom McDonald's? Um, not immediately that comes to mind. And he is symptomatic of Melbourne. Mm. So that was him in 2018 and that was them in 2018, and then they had a two-year hiatus while they didn't become what we all thought they were going to, and now here it is, and it's not coincidental by any means, I don't think. Do they want for anything? No. No, they are complete, aren't they? Yeah, I think, and I was thinking about this last night, you know, if they had the choice and say it was the mid-season, what would they go out and get? I don't think they need anything. They, They just need to keep moving as they are. They need to keep improving, find their right formula in the four line, and then ultimately, Lepe's, you know, just performing when it really counts. I don't think there's any more that you could ask from the Ds right now. No, they probably just need backups in the positions they've actually got because, you know, even if you just look at the numbers generically, the AFL 1 or 3 at nearly everything. So mm. that tends to show you there's no ultimate weakness in any one part of the ground, in the air or on the ground, hit-outs, midfield contested position, back-half intercepts, you know, front-half contested ball wins, ground level. They've got all the sort of pieces of the puzzle there. So what they don't want is injuries. Mm. So what they then, so what you need is backups to make sure if they do have a bad day or a bad month where they get a couple of injuries, they can hold on. The news out of the night, Sam? Yeah, look, a couple of reports. Dane Zorko reported it was news to Chris Fagan after the match, which was quite surprising, but reported for striking that man, Tom McDonald, with that forearm to the head. The skipper of the line's been so good in recent weeks, hasn't he? A big reason for their purple patch prior to last night. Look, McDonald did him some favours. He actually helped Dane Zorko up. He had a laugh about it, so Dane can certainly thank Tom for that. He didn't get him with... Well, what didn't get him with significant force, but it's off the ball. So you'd think it would be graded as intentional. That's sort of been the history of these sort of things. And if it's intentional, high contact, which it is, and even low impact, it's still a weak. So might not even have to be upgraded from low to medium, which the MRO have the authority to do under the guise of the potential to cause injury. So, so I'll read you the clause. Intent, notwithstanding any other part of the guidelines, the fact that an act of striking occurred behind the play or yep. off the ball or during a break in play or with a raised forearm or elbow is usually consistent with the strike being intentional. So that would be a week as per the matrix laid out by the tribunal. So a nervous wait for the Brisbane Lions captain who had got this out of his game in recent times, but bad habits coming back to the fore last night. Incidentally, no player has given away more free kicks this year than than Dane Zorko as well. So that's the 
That's the yin to his yang, I suppose. Uh, Tom Sparrow and Daniel Rich, I would have thought insufficient force. A bit like Lance Franklin on Nick Newman of the Blues. Not reported, of course, but one, might be one for Michael Christian to look over. Uh, Injury-wise, Ryan Lester, the hamstring, a real shame there. A slight tweak. They've got the bye coming up. So Chris Fagan was saying they the expectation, the hope that Ryan Lester will be okay. Jaden Hunt played out the game with that shoulder. Uh, Simon Goodwin saying it's a stinger there, so he should be okay. And Christian Salem, incidentally, finishing with the vest on uh, as the sub so he's had a few soft tissue injuries uh, Melbourne being precautious there I think it is Jared. so just tucking him away uh, to safeguard him for the, for the rest of the season. The Lions side of things and the COVID scenario because Melbourne's impacted by it. Richmond we know is in Perth and it seems like they're heading back there again next weekend. We'll run you through that and Simon Goodwin at 10 past 12 locals so once he lands from Sydney in 50 minutes time you're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships stock the all new Nissan Navara Pro 4X built tough. And for Red Rooster, of course, Jared, delicious, crunchy new fried chicken by Red Rooster available at selected restaurants, the Rooster's Court. Crunch time with Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Justin Lepich, and Nick Del Santo. The COVID matrix that the AFL is trying to navigate at the moment. Dreamtime in the West tonight. Collingwood ordered into home quarantine to satisfy South Australian officials. The Queen's birthday match moved to the SCG, but the slide remains at an abandoned MCG. Hubs is a last resort and all manner of anxiety in the playing group around long absences from home. It has been a challenging week. I think for the sheer absurdity of what the Chief Health Officer in South Australia said, at least it gave you an insight into what the AFL is dealing with hour by hour. If it is so foolish as to say, duck the Sharon if it comes over the fence. <laughs> if the risk has been so disproportionately represented by those in authority, imagine trying to navigate the paperwork. So my sympathies are absolutely with the AFL trying to keep any sort of fixture on schedule at the moment, given that Queensland is saying no and South Australia has just been so ridiculous. It would be torturous at AFL HQ. Imagine being Travis Old and uh, and the whole team trying to deal with getting these games off the ground at the moment. And a lot hinges on, on how the Collingwood experience goes this weekend because Geelong, you're in the hot seat next. Next Thursday, the return of Thursday Night Footy. Will we even get Thursday Night Football next week? So the AFL is seen to have given so much to get this game up off the ground for Collingwood at the Adelaide Oval. Will they do the same? Will they put Geelong through the same set of parameters, the 60 hours of lockdown at home, the hotels, the bus picking them up like the school bus to take them to training and back to the hotel and then back to the airport, the tests at the airport, the getting to the ground, straight off the ground, more tests. Will they do that for Geelong like they did Collingwood? So that's a once only yes for me. I actually think that with a couple of days to think about it, the AFL should have said no and said to the Crows, if that's the attitude of your government, you're just going to have to leave and play at a neutral venue. We can't we can't possibly stage a game in that scenario. So it's so, going to be give a bit to get a bit. Yeah. And so clearly the AFL's gone, well, if our best chance of keeping the schedule on track is to do this, we'll do it. But when... But you need to. We need to negotiate further the next time around. What doesn't help our argument is that Adelaide Crows players aren't wearing masks on yeah. planes when mm. they're returning from their interstate trips. That waters down our argument a little no, bit. Too. Unforgivable, completely unforgivable. That there are a group of players who either are so self entitled that they don't think the rules apply to them, or so ignorant as to the situation the game finds itself in that they should could be cavalier in such a manner. Well, if the reports unforgivable. Are, well, if the reports are to be true, then it's definitely the former.
just a flagrant disregard for the rules if they have been told to put the masks on and they haven't. If that is true, then that is, as you say, unforgivable. That investigation's ongoing. Hopefully we have an update before we before we start what the game today. If those investigations are proven right, what does that mean? What, what, what are the ramifications? What does the actual fallout mean for well, the, the Crows or the AFL? The AFL's got carte blanche to, to punishment as they see mm. fit. So, so just go, going back to possibly next Thursday night, so you feel like the AFL have given up more than what they should have to get yep. this week underway. And yeah, I think this is grossly unfair right. on Collingwood. Yes, yeah, but, I agree. But they have to be the guinea pigs. So next week, how does the AFL play this out so this doesn't impact so, every club yeah. that wants to play in South Australia? I think there are only two scenarios next week. The first is that the South Australian government allows Geelong to stay the Thursday night in, in? an abandoned hotel. So they can't contact any local Adelaideans in their time there. So it has to be an abandoned, creaky hotel with... <laughs> with Crickety floorboards. Jack and without the old ghosts in the windows. The shining. They have to find them their own building. Or, and it's probably more likely if those conditions apply, the game will be absorbed later in the weekend and be an earlier time slot. Because as you've you've explained, as scheduled, a 7.40 bounce down doesn't give Geelong time to get in and out. They can't fly out at that time. You can't clear the airspace at that stage. So that we have the case study of last year where Collingwood was the team who went in, fly in, fly out. The game had to be at 6.05 to be able to finish on the bus, yep. on the plane, and clear the airspace. And that defeats the purpose of Thursday night, which is primetime footy. So the Cats have been watching this all with immense interest, as you can imagine. The lead-up for Collingwood, what they're going through this weekend and how it goes, because, as I said, they're, they're very much the next cab off the rank on Thursday. What's happening with Richmond, Lepper? Yeah, well, the, the news is they've got a decision to make to stay in Perth in, in those very harsh lockdown conditions where they can't leave the hotel and go back-to-back from Perth or go back to Sydney. So... Yeah, it looks like they're going to be looking to, after this game, go back to Sydney for the week and then head back to, to play the Eagles after that, whenever that that game is, because they get more freedom in, in Sydney. And I, I can only feel and understand what we talk about the players and what they're going through, but every time you cross a border, you cross a new rule. And, and, you, and you cross, in some ways, you, you cross another level of ridiculousness in what people think and why. Like, it's like touching a sweaty ball, but you can go to the grocery store and touch yeah. a broccoli and pick it up and put it down. And we don't, and how many people have done that? I mean, I, in, in Melbourne, we've got building, builders are on. I've got a, a development myself. Not all the tradies work on the same site. They go from one to the other. They pick up, probably borrow each other's tools. And this is where I think it gets a little confusing for players. And and then they cross another board. It's another rule and another rule. Then, oh no, that, that one's now softened and back again. So I can see, I know they're well versed in it, but I can see after doing this for twelve months why people then go, well, why can't okay, so in Sydney we can we can walk around Coogee Beach and, and go for a recovery session, but we can't stay in Perth for the same week and do anything. Can we get on the same page mm. at all in any one thing? Because apparently this thing does have an answer to it. We're, we're living by rules and abiding by rules, yet we can't all come up with the same set of set of rules. Whereas New South Wales are saying to Victoria, well, hang on, you don't have to be this harsh. And then Perth is like, no, no, you're going to be really harsh. And Adelaide are like, well, you can sort of come in, but don't touch the ball. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's a little bit farcical when um, you think about it. What would you prefer? I'm just thinking about from a Richmond perspective. What would you prefer? Would you be preferred to be locked down in Perth for the entirety of the next week? Or would you prefer to travel five or so hours to get back well, they've got to the, Sydney for a week. They've got the as scheduled. They've got the bye next week. So we're thinking. So that the that, assumption that's is be the game It's going to be forward. brought forward from the Thursday to the yeah. Sunday. Oh, look, I, I would probably want to get back to a, venue, a place that mm. lets you actually get out of the hotel and cop yep. a fair five hour flight each way. But I think the, the question is why? Why are they sitting in a Perth hotel when they walk in? Literally, every every staff member of that Perth hotel is in 
full gear, quarantine the face shields and the whole lot. Like, what? It's, it's, yeah, yeah, they're, they're getting treated like they're basically, yeah, yeah, well, close enough to, but it, it, yeah, they're getting treated like they don't touch those dirty Victorians. And mm. these people are tested twice a week, three times a week. They've got nothing to worry about, yet we, we can't, that's where a lot of it, I think, can get frustrating. When you you think about living that life now, let's put yourself in these people, got to get off the plane and, and provide the entertainment for us. And, and do this for us and, and for their families and for the game, and we're putting them through that. So I, I do have a little bit of empathy for what they're going through. The Queen's birthday mm. game has gone to the SCG, but not the event, just the game. So well, th- this is the great missed opportunity in this period, regrettably. Not enough time, was there? They ran out of runway to get the big freeze up at the SCG, but sanity prevailed in the sense at least they're moving a, a, a marquee fixture in the home and away time slot to a venue that can have fans. It would have been an incredible shame if the game went ahead at the MCG. So now at the SCG, now the Sydney Sporting Fraternity has to rally like we've seen over in WA for Dreamtime, which sold out in 17 hours. You'd love to see a massive crowd for uh, for Queen's Birthday Monday, Monday week at the SCG. The big freeze, as you say, will be a TV event, sadly. So they they're working on getting that beamed into the scoreboard at the SCG. It'll take place at a at a at an echoey echoish MCG, which is a great shame. But um, they're working on some activations and such up at the SCG as well. So the freeze, the slide remains at the MCG. The game itself goes to Sydney, which I think is the best result we could have hoped for in the time frame we were given. So the pity of it is, is that Dreamtime moves as an event. So mm. people have it hasn't sold out because it's Essendon versus Richmond. It's sold out because it's Dreamtime and Long Walk. 6,000 capacity. Yeah. They've just so- sold that out, quote, unquote. Right. So that's that capacity now as well. So you're right. It is but the whole event. All that's been moved on the Queen's birthday is Melbourne versus Collingwood, which isn't a very attractive game as a pure spectacle. It's the whole event around it, and that yeah. hasn't been shifted. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't – we can't expect the people of Sydney to be – totally swept up by this when we're not actually giving them the best part of the no, day. No, no. But and it's not an AFL-loving town either, which is the second part, Adelaide to Sydney. You know, yeah. they'll, they'll support the Swans and, 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 and the Giants to uh, not even the, as much an extent. So supporting two Melbourne teams what, is part of it. What would be our initial thoughts on a crowd? What, what would you suspect that they'll get there on a Queen's birthday? Well, well Melbourne's, the best, Melbourne's the best team in the competition. Collingwood, mm. you'd like to think, Hold, have some sort of gravitas in the in the mm. the sporting world in in Australia as, as perhaps the biggest AFL club going around. So you'd like to think, what would they get, Jared, on a Monday, a public holiday Monday? Could they get to thirty? Would you take a third? No, I, I was going to say mid twenties. I was going to say twelve. <laughs> I was twelve. Say 15, yeah. Oh, you've gone completely the other way. Yeah, Collingwood's a spectacle, but just not in the way they play yeah, their footy. Yeah, it's not appealing. So if you, you know, maybe if the pregame was the board debate, 12. then you might be a chance <laughs> of drawing a crowd. Well, if the slide was there, I would double yeah. that. If the slide was in Adelaide, they would have got. 50, you reckon you can honestly get another twelve if the slide was in at the yeah, SCG? Yeah, because that's the day. Mm. That's the event. Wow. It's come and support Neil Danaher. Yeah. yeah, come and be part of something festive and fun, but. If it's at an empty MCG and it's on the scoreboard, that's not it, is yep. it? It was just down, unfortunately, down the priority list for the AFL, given everything they're having to deal with at the moment. North Melbourne, well, they've got two games in three weeks coming up in Hobart. Jared, round 13 and 15 against GWS and Gold Coast, respectively. They're working, and the Lions are open to this, moving their round 14 game, the one in the middle from uh, against the Lions from Marble Stadium to Hobart. So they'll get three consecutive games down in Hobart, North Melbourne. They did want, and they did go to the Tasmanian government in a bid to base themselves there for three weeks. 
Unfortunately, the Tasmanian government didn't want a bar of that. But at the moment, it looks like they're going to give approval for fly-in, fly-out uh, trips down to the Apple Isle for North Melbourne. So that will be much the same as Collingwood. You go to the airport and you are straight to Blundstone Arena. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Do not yep. stay in a hotel. So in and out on the day. But they get their three games at Tassie, which we know is lucrative for them financially. But the... The biggest fixture on the horizon is Hawthorne and Essendon in round 14 because it's the first double-up game. So once that game is staged, the AFL is wedged to its fixture. And it's a pity that the double-up game happens quite so soon. The rest are sort of round 15, 16, 18. But as soon as that game gets played and they are determined to stick with their fixture as best as possible, once that game gets staged, they're wedded to it. Mm -hmm. And this is where what Jeff Kennett spoke about during the week. It's more likely in that scenario, that if the disruptions come as such, there'd be a pause in the season. It would become impossible to keep staging. So at the moment, the manoeuvring is clever. Um, and you can, I think you can box clever around Adelaide as if things don't really pan out. And Collingwood's feedback is that if that was ridiculous to put a professional sporting club through that to stage a game, then the message might have to be to Port Adelaide, well, we'll stage Thursday night, but you're going to have to come to Sydney. Um, to be able to to get that game played and then we'll negotiate the other end of it with your government rather than getting Victorian teams in and out of South Australia, we'll negotiate getting your Adelaide teams in and out of South Australia. So that that would be the other way to approach as it it becomes sort of more convoluted along the way. And hubs, so hubs are a source of great fear for the player group, um, at least portions of it. That's Mm. that's clear. Yeah, and that was clear off the back of what happened last year and speaking to a lot of players from different clubs they said we're, we're never doing that again and I must and this is sort of a separate conversation I'm still surprised or maybe I'm not as surprised as what I once was at the backlash that current AFL players get for speaking out or speaking how they would feel about going into a hub and being away from their family and I just think there's a moment you spoke about empathy before for the Tigers I just think there's a moment I understand we always refer to how much money they get paid Put all that aside for a moment. They're just like you and me. They're no different. They're not immune to having the same emotions and the feelings. I understand that they get paid really well. And so they should be. Earn whatever you can while you're playing for a short period of time. But I'm still surprised at this backlash and this anger towards players for wanting to be home with their family. And and they get compared to overseas sports people. They didn't sign up for that part. Overseas people do. Yeah, They know what they're going to when they go to play sport in America or European soccer or whatever it may be. I'm okay with that. If that's how they feel, that's okay to feel like that. But uh, the, the scars are getting brought up. You know, there's, there was the conversation, will they be better better placed because they went through it last year like you did, Lepa? Are you better placed knowing what you're in for? Or does it actually bring up the scars and those feelings and emotions that they went through last year? I think it's probably the latter at this stage. There, there is a trepidation of saying, don't tell me it's a week. Don't tell me it's three weeks. You said that to me last year and it was over 100 days. Yeah, and I think the, the issue with the hubs last year was the fact that the lack of freedom that's involved in a hub. So if, if last year the AFL were able to negotiate the fact that you could move around like a Queenslander, and which there's no reason why, let's be honest, you couldn't move around, and particularly after week two or three, you basically are a Queenslander, but still lived under heavy restrictions. Now, I think that was mainly because of not showing the Victorians, rubbing in their face that, you know, that these football players are up there having a good time on the beach. But if they had a little bit more freedom up there and their families with them, what's the difference of being in Melbourne or mm. being in Queensland or being in New South Wales? But I think also the restrictions, a lot of them didn't have family. There's a lot of reasons why. But as you said, it, it's something you wouldn't want to go through again. But I, I'm kind of the opinion, it's only my age though and what I've been through is that I'd, I'd do it again. Um, only only for that reason. I Because I think the bigger picture uh, is bigger 
than the smaller picture. But sometimes you're different ages, you're going through different things. My kids are a bit older. I don't have three, like a lot of these older players that might have the biggest issues. They've got two or three kids under the age of five for one wife to look after with no support. So I get that. And anyone who's been out there has to have empathy for that and understand why you wouldn't want to go through that again. Did you find, just out of curiosity, some of the younger players last year that didn't have girlfriends or kids at home, did they love it? Yeah, they did. Or was there a handful that just said, yeah. hey, this is like an awesome yeah. school camp where I, I get I, to I, play footy all day? I, I think Dustin wanted to move in, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. He had no media bargaining. He could walk down the road and no one actually knew who he was and he could you know, have a, have a good life in the sunshine. I think he really enjoyed it. I like it. Uh, Simon Goodwin, after 12, to join us. We'll do the Collingwood Civil War next. Uh, All aspects of the Magpies have been on trial this week from the way that they play to the makeup of the board. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. Stock the all-new Nissan Navara. Pro 4X, built tough. And for Red Rooster's new crunchy fried chicken, available at selected restaurants. It's something that happens above my head, and um, and obviously there's it's... It's topical right here, right now, with the uh, with the advent of uh, more conversations, I suppose, coming out in the open. Um, but I, you know, I, I believe that um, you know, I believe that most of those people have Collingwood's best interests at heart. Um, what I would say is that, um, and for what it's worth, you know, I actually believe that there's been a whole heap of change at this football club over the last three or four years, in particular. I think we're a much better um, organisation um, across those years and I believe um, yeah, the people that are on the current board have have, um, have had no small part in, in that progress. Uh, yes, we're, we're struggling at the moment on field and our win-loss doesn't look great um, and there have been some, some challenges of, you know, in terms of the salary cap um, and obviously the do-better report which is really public but I there's been that much change that has taken place. I believe the people that are on the current board are the right people to take the club forward um, and, um, and and believe in time that that will be uh, vindicated. Collingwood coach Nathan Buckley yesterday taking the bold step to back the incumbent board, which is under siege, both publicly and privately. Buckley, over a period of time, has spoken with great passion about the change that he believed was necessary and taking place at Collingwood and tips his lot in with those who are running the club now against the broader assumption that they'll get voted out by Jeff Brown and whatever group he's building. Is Justin Leppich's sometimes a coach would sidestep that, but Nathan Buckley is a great Collingwood person as well as being the coach of the day. And it, I, was, I, I was admiring of how strong he was given the downside to saying what he said. Yeah, most coaches would avoid that sort of topic. Um as I said, three, three last time I think we we're on this show, three months after I was appointed, I had a board challenge and change. So it was, it was my introduction into focus on into footy. coaching. Yeah, well, no, no, this is at Brisbane. Before that, um, the, the the board that appointed me actually didn't exist. About six months later, so right. um, I've I've been there where Bucks is, and you often just let that stuff happen. It's a, it's a bit like your parents going through a divorce. You're almost like you know they love you and they know they care about you and they want to do the right thing, but it's a big distraction and it can filter through and it can filter down. Um, into the ranks. You can't underestimate the fact that it won't because um, like in that scenario, the kids see the parents misbehave and they start to do it themselves a little bit. So they, that can filter through. Um, I'm a believer in that. But yeah, for Bucks to actually back a side is a is very intriguing. It's particularly because Craig Kelly 
went the other way, um, which is maybe he's maybe he's hedging his bets here, Jared. He's getting his manager to go down one way, he's going down the other. So no matter what happens, he he keeps his uh, keeps can, his job. I'm really curious. Can you take us inside those scenarios for you, and then also what Nathan Buckley would be going through? How does it affect the coach? How do you get something direct for you to have a different feeling or your actions change because of what's going on at a board level? Well, okay, from my, my perspective, the, the chairman changed and the board slowly changed over the course of 12 months. So I, I met a new board person every board meeting for about 12 months. So, um, And they all come in with different ideas, different concepts, and they're, they're appointed for different reasons. So um, it can be distracting in that part. So a lot of them times too, from if you're talking about it from a footy perspective, you're saying, well, this is the plan. This is what we're trying. You're almost retelling the same story constantly to a new group. So Bucks will have and, and Graham Wright will have their little plan of where they want it to be in two, three, three, four years, yeah? So at the at the at this point in time, Bucks has got that, obviously, with the current board. This is what we need to do. This is how we need to play. This is where we're going. These are the sorts of players we need to bring in. So he's probably happy with – if they've ticked that off and they're happy with that, he's probably thinking, well, I don't want a new board to come in because mm. I don't know what they're thinking potentially. Um, and with a new board, generally potentially comes also potentially a new often CEO, footy manager, head of – like often the change at the top, can lead to multiple changes below it as well because the new guy doesn't like generally what's currently there. Um, not all of it. They might not change all of it. They definitely make one or two changes. Very rare a new board come in and just, oh, no, everything that's there is actually really good. You all keep your jobs for the next four years. That, that what normally means changes below that. So it, it is a difficult time. It's a, it's a time of unrest um, for for the staff, and then that can potentially lead to unrest onto the players because then the staff are thinking, geez, we need to win to keep our jobs, and then that can actually filter down as well. So there is there is flow-on effects from this. You can't put your head in the sand to say that, the, that what happens at board level doesn't filter down in some respects because insecurity tends to fall behind things like this. The political manoeuvring. So Jeff Brown tried to smoke out the current board. Uh, he did it through a carefully orchestrated campaign in the Herald Sun, gathering endorsements along the way, gathering a mandate, as it was said, and then laid his terms out is, I'll take four, you can keep three, and the board stood united. So, And I still think the central figure in this, because of what she represents, is Jodie Sizer, the vice mm-hmm. president, and she was unequivocal on Thursday that she wouldn't serve on a Jeff Brown board. Brown revealed that that part of his intention was to have her to continue the work and the do better portfolio. And it does challenge whatever full ticket now that Jeff has to gather. It challenges diversity, both in terms of gender and race that he's yep. not going to be able to solve through current directors. And it's so far, it's a nameless crew. I mean, there's not many names have been linked. I've seen Paul Tudnam has been linked uh, in the age and the Herald Sun in recent days as well. And now we know unequivocally, unequivocally that it's going to get a heck of a lot more messy before the waters get smoothed out here. So not only did Jodie Sizer say what she did to you, Jared, but she called it a boys club as well, didn't she? Which is some pretty strong language to use. We heard Mark Corder on Sports Day say not one single member will vacate, let alone four. So they're bunkering down. There's a pack there. So it's going to get messy. It's going to get messy. I think we'd all maybe sort of half fallen into the idea that perhaps Jeff Brown might just sweep into power and there might not be a challenge. How wrong we were because this is going to get really messy before the end of the year. So the Collingwood constituency wants to vote. Uh, I know that there's this notion that they want change. They want to vote above all else. And it feels like it's the one thing that no one is intending to allow them to do. Even Jodie Siders has said she couldn't see any reason why there would be a vote. If you can't see the need for a vote now, then you never will. A strong core of Collingwood people believe they haven't had a say in things for more than two decades 
and they don't actually want it sorted out in the back room between Corder and Brown to come up no, with a compromise no, board. They not. they want an election. They want both parties. Show us what you got, and we'll vote how we see fit as members. And is there still? I remember this going back a couple of weeks ago. You were talking about who can and who can't vote with the current structure. Is that still an issue for those that think they probably have a right as being no, one of I the think club's members? Collingwood members would understand that only thirteen and a half thousand. Mm, yeah. I think that's the number, and it's the the high end of things. So I think most of the Collingwood members would understand that the rank and file don't have voting rights. Yeah, okay. But the people who do have voting rights have, have had them sort of um, so defined in what the what the direction of Eddie Maguire's hand-picked board was to be ratified at AGMs that uh, no one really ever took up the active right to vote against it because there were no viable alternatives. Mm. What about a timeline, Sammy? There's a lot of things floating around at the moment. I'm sure... Yeah. Collingwood supporters just want to have some clarity. Nathan Buckley wants clarity. I'm sure the players want to have clarity. What would this timeline possibly look like for the remainder of this year? Well, it's been somewhat held up, Dell, because David Hatley, the member, of course, who's collected the petition, the 1,800-odd signatures to trigger the emergency general meeting, has uh, he's on the record of saying he wants to sit down with Mark Corder first and lay it all out. He hasn't been able to do that because of COVID. So at the moment, we've got a bit of a, a stalemate in terms of the rigid process that would that he would seem to have to go through to, yeah. so when to it trigger starts, the CGM. It, there's 21 days validation period and 60 days to call the EGM. So this is not going to happen no, in no, a week. This is playing out for a little bit longer. Uh, the, the on-field, the salary cap, we'll do in a moment's time. Yep. Simon Goodwin coming up. Throughout the season, we're counting down the most unbelievable moments in footy history for Furphy Refreshing Ale. Unbelievable. There's a list that's been compiled. All the great iconic marks and goals and torps and toe pokes and the like. We'll start counting them down from next week. Ten down to one. So have a think through and what instantly flashes in your mind is iconic. Furphy, unbelievable moments. Furphy, refreshing ale, unbelievable. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. They stop the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X, built tough. Melbourne beat Brisbane to start round 12, 22 points at Giants Stadium. Simon Goodwin, the Demons coach, he's got them at 11-1, and one, bar for a missed free kick. Could be 12-0. and zero. He's going to join us as soon as he hops off the plane from Sydney. Crunch time for the Western Werribee Auto Group. Make the smart move at Werribee Haval by test driving the new H6. Jared Waitley, Justin Lepich, Nick Del Santo and Sam Edmonds were in mid-flow on Collingwood. So there's the boardroom and then there's the on-fields and the salary cap scenario which played out mm. so graphically. Sam Edmonds in the trade period and the admission by Graham Wright, who's the new list boss, the new GM yep. of footy, that there is a hangover, quote, unquote, he said with Gary and Tim on SEN Breakfast this week. He did. Look, to, and to be fair to him, that is terrific honesty from Graham Wright, which we praise because we didn't have it last year from Collingwood, and it so angered their fan base. So first of all, he was pretty graphic in his language, but most of all, he was, he was honest. So... And maybe if you're being cynical, there's perhaps an analogy to be made about Riley coming in as a new premier saying, look what I've inherited. Yeah. But also to be fair to them, every club's obviously had to defer money with contracts after locking them in with the salary cap due to COVID-19. So there's an element of that as well. So there's a squeeze on to varying degrees everywhere, which to some degree, it might be why we have a quiet trade period at the end of the year. It's just no, there's just no cash about. But there has been triggers everywhere at Collingwood with their contracts, Jared, to the point where rival list managers, and, and they all sit down at the end of the year and they, what's the state of play at your club? What's the deal with such and such? And player X and player Y just cannot believe the amount of triggers that have been inserted into player contracts in recent time at Collingwood. And, and as we know, those triggers can get you into big trouble. So 
They've got Mason Cox, Levi Greenwood and Chris Maynard, who might come off the books, you would think, at the end of the year. Uh, Josh Thomas has been well paid as well. He's out of contract. And then you've got the big the big deals, haven't you? The Brody Grundies of the world, 7 by 7 million. The Darcy Morse on for two years until the end of next year at close to 850. Jordan Degoe is on around 750 until the end of next year as well. So whether there's just one small, painful pill that has to be swallowed again at the end of this year remains to be seen. We know they've got the points deficit when it comes to getting Nick Dacos in, the prodigy there, the father-son, that they've got some serious manoeuvring to do there in terms of the points deficit remains to be seen. Graham Wright did go on to say it's not insurmountable with Gary and Tim, but gee whiz, are they, could there be... Uh, could there be a, a, an interview that would send a bigger shiver up your spine if you're a Collingwood supporter than that during the week? Well, the risk within this, and just to clarify, you use the word trigger, and, and just to clarify what that could possibly be, it could be something as simple as a game trigger. So it could be you have to play 11 games, 20 games throughout the year, which earns you more money on your base contract. It could be where you finish in the best and fairest. And we're talking tens of thousands of dollars. It could be All-Australian selection. It could be where you finish in the Brownlow medal. There's so many mm. triggers that management and within you know when dealing with the clubs that they put in for their play to try and ultimately get them the, the best deal. Now, the risk within that is you're touching on now, Sammy, is some clubs have paid, as in they paid at the end of the year once you achieve that, but they also add it to the remainder of your contract. So it starts to compound and mm. it starts to actually have implications for years to come after that. I'm shocked at some of those reports about where they currently sit. And I've just had a really quick flick through their list right now. And it's not about who's got value because as we saw last year, it's literally just cleaning some some money off yeah. your books. So well, they I might didn't... get very, very little back in return. But you look, who's got value? Who would possibly leave that football club? But still knowing that you want to keep some leadership there, you know, with, with a young group coming through, they've had so many injuries. So I bought them in Pendlebury. I can't see going anywhere. And clearly Pendlebury is the main one in that. Then I worked my way down to Maynard and Crisp. Like they're, they're really good players. They're probably in their best five players this year and have been for a period of time. But someone's scalp's going to get done again. It just doesn't read well at the moment. So if you married that up with Mark Corder on AW when he was asked when would they return to contention, he said 2024 or 2025. Mm. So that gives you a picture to there is there's a time frame, clean this up, stock with young talent, and then, so bottom three this year, that's their lot. Not in contention 22 or 23 while they fix it up and accumulate, which I think that's the first time that's been said as clearly. And then when you marry that up with the coaching scenario, Nathan Buckley, and this is where I'm interested in your view, Lepper, if you know that this team's not going to be competing in for finals in 22 and 23 by your own internal timeline, are you committing yourself for years 11 and 12 in rebuild mode with the prospect of maybe 2024, but more likely 2025? Are you, are you putting yourself forward? for that, that rebuilds and that time in the doldrums? It's a lot of energy for a coach that's already been there, what, now 10 years, Bucks, to restart again. I guess Clarko's doing it a little bit, what's he now, 16 years in the, 17 years at the Hawks, so he is redoing it again at that age. But, geez, it, it will take a lot of energy for Bucks to get up to go through that cycle again because it's a lot of losing, it's a, it's a lot of time. As we know, there's not a lot of, there's only really the one mechanism to draft young players in. We've now got the mid-season draft, there's, there's only really one small trade window, so it's, it is a slow burn. You recruit kids at 18, not 21, so they're less likely to be ready. So it's a slower burn to get this going. So it, it And you know all this stuff in the background. So that's why Mark is saying this, because he sat down with Graham Wright and Bucks and gone, right, this is the age demographic. 
and I did this at the lines. This is and this is the time we'll have players around about the ninety game average mark, which is the starting point of success, which is about this. This is if we recruit well. Mm. If yeah, you recruit a, poorly, that's the big if. If you don't do this well as well, and you get a couple of busts in there, well, you might slowly dip. And we've seen this in Melbourne over a long journey. You might have to go back and go again because um, they had it with the. Uh, Trengrove era, yep. you know, and it didn't quite work. And they retried it again with this current era, the Petrarca Oliver era, and it's worked. So they had have tried it before and didn't didn't work, and they had to try it again. So it, it, just because the the methods out there, it doesn't mean it it perfectly works. If you don't do the work and you don't have the people there that can pick it right, coach them well, and develop them. If nothing else. This is realistic. This is accurate. This is the most important timeline there is. Absolutely. And I felt for Collingwood supporters last year, I think what we heard during the week from Graham Wright, everyone sort of feels like they knew this story anyway. So why not put it on the agenda? Why not say, hey, this is our situation right now. We have a path forward. And it hasn't felt like it's been like that for the last 18 months, Sammy. So I I like the honesty. Yep. But we all sort of felt like that or knew it in some degree anyway. So why not put it out there? So let, if, there is a, if there is a contract for Buckley, it has to be three years because it has to yep. cover the two years that you already know you're not making finals by your own hand, 22 and 23, and then give some form of measurement in 24. Yeah. yeah. So it can't be anything less than three years on that timeline. I agree. Yep. And get judged on that third year yep. and start to see the improvement. And then there's the style of play, which has been – it's interesting, they floated this last night. I think there's sometimes there's a false economy in this. Um, if Collingwood had gone out and got beaten by 60 points by Geelong last week, I don't think it's even vaguely a topic of conversation. Yeah, yep, that's happened. Of course it happened. On our scale of nine results, that's number eight. But because of the manner in which they played, and they only lost by 10 points, they bought themselves a place in the top two interesting conversations out of the week. Yeah. I thought... The way that framed up, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I think as humans, we don't like getting our time wasted. And I, I think, <laughs> I think, I think well, whatever, it's true. We don't like turning up to anything and getting our time wasted. So I think we all they went lost to the by game. A point and ten points. But yeah, but we watched that going. Oh, really? Like, like as you said, if it was entertaining and they lost by ten, we probably oh, we showed some signs. It was a, the game moved, the ball moved yeah. around a bit. Yeah. So we kind of we're not we're not attached to Collingwood. So we can't. A lot of times we're commenting on what we want. We wanted to see something a bit more fast and free-flowing. Well, that might not suit with the way Nathan Buckley's developing them. And and that's fine because that's the way they think the, the way to go. And they might – and Nathan mentioned himself. They went ultra – you know, a bit more attacking at the start again. They've peeled it right back and mentioned this week that it might actually open up a little bit with some of their offensive stuff and, and be a little bit more daring. So – and look, I can completely understand that I've been through this. And when I've coached the team that no matter what style you try, didn't work. Um, and the one where you do kick it around and, the, and even your own – crowds booing you, which wasn't an issue last week, that's, that is the one that's the hardest to swallow a little bit at times. How many times can you change? How many times are you looking for a formula that might give you some sort of joy or optimism that the future might be better? Oh, the only time you're having joy is when you're winning and you're the top of the ladder. I mean, every 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 other moment is is a challenge and it's hard and, yeah, you're always fighting your way to find the next thing. Oh, oh. Don't, all the coaches are sitting there wanting to appease everybody. They want to appease their board, their fans, their players, and get them playing their best. Uh, so they're trying to do that, but it, but you have to make you have to be the guy that makes a call, don't mm. you? To say, well, given all that, I still you're going to upset somebody, and it might be the crowd um, to get where you want to get to, or it might be your own you know player to play him in a position. He maybe he didn't want to play as a kid, but this is what's best for the team. 
Um, so, yeah, so it, you have to make the tough call at times. And, um, and yeah, what part of Collingwood's going well at the moment? Can we start with that? You've got a board spill, you've got le- you've got list management issues, and you've got on-field issues. Yep. So it's a, it's a bit of a trifecta for them at the moment, isn't it, what we're all talking about? It's the full sweep today. They face Adelaide, and we're gearing up for that big day of footy for Dometic Outdoor. Go further, stay longer. And there is news from the Crows' perspective. There is. It's a big afternoon for them. It's been a big morning for them too, Jared. We did float this earlier that the AFL was likely to hand down their decision on uh, the allegation that their players and staff didn't wear masks on that return flight from Sydney. Well, the league has just announced its sanctioned $50,000 fine for the Adelaide Crows. Uh, the statement just released by the AFL says a number of Crows players and officials did not adhere to the applicable rule of wearing a face mask while on a commercial flight from Sydney to Adelaide last weekend. The AFL, in conjunction with the club, investigated the matter and determined a number of officials and players did not wear their face masks properly on the flight. The club has been fined $50,000, 100% of the sanction to be included in their football department soft cap. Mm. AFL General Counsel Andrew Dillon said there was simply no excuse for not abiding by the very simple applicable regulations, Jared. Yeah, and this is not even a football regulation. This is all of us in our lives. If you go to an airport and catch a plane by federal government decree, you have to wear a mask. Staggering. Mm. Absolutely staggering that they would find themselves in that position. And that's a big fine. And we know how hard up against it they are, Leopard, with soft caps, every club at the moment, to get 50000 unless they just throw it down the drain. It's uh, unbelievable. Yeah, and that's it. And, that, and then it gets back to the soft cap. And even getting back to Collingwood with the soft cap um, debate, they want to probably invest going back to their plan three, four, five years in extra recruitment and development. You know, you're already hamstrung because you can't do those things. They've already, as we know, gone from six recruiters down to one and a half. So, you know, they've got a, a time where they want to invest in young players and young talent. They're already – so imagine making a mistake like that as well yeah. for your footy club. And, again, as fans, we only see the end product what's on the field right now. But there's a lot of things in place to what you see. And it's not just what the coach said at halftime. It's, it's, it's years in the process to see what you see right now. And it's normally what happened five years ago is what's happening right now in your current team. And that's why they are where they are. Melbourne's going to be a great case study of that. The Demons coach, Simon Goodwin, just off the plane from Sydney. Simon, great to have you on Crunch Time. Yeah, afternoon, guys. Afternoon, Jared. Well, you be on. Yeah, well, you've been flying. We've been chatting. Take us to half time, if you would, and how you approached <laughs> it. How much of it was strategic methodology? How much of it was maybe a little bit of fire and brimstone? Yeah, it's it's a really good question because you know we walk in at half time as a group of coaches, and um, you know we sit there and look at the game, and there's not one area of the game that you're looking at that's going well for us. And, um, when we broke it down, it was really about trying to change the players' mindset, make a couple of little structural changes, but really just hone in on getting the game in our half of the ground. And um, that was the key message. And, you know, put the heat on a few of our leaders to really step up in that space. And I thought they responded enormously well. And once you get a bit of momentum early in that third quarter, it's uh, sort of built the belief and, and we're back in the game. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a really good chat at halftime with the coaches because there wasn't a lot going right for us in the first half. To get a jolt sometimes requires a shock tactic. Did you go to it? Did you go to the old spray? Oh, no, we, we've sort of got a lot of belief, Jared. You know, I think you know we put some heat on our leaders, um, first and foremost, around their response, especially through the middle of the ground. We needed to start to get more supply and start to win some contests behind the ball and just get a little bit more brave in the way we are playing. So... Um, certainly put the heat in that area, but uh, no, there was no spray yesterday. It was all about how we're going to actually work our way back into the game because the boys have been able to reset themselves so well throughout the year. It was uh, a matter of them just taking back to that place that they know. Goody, it was a brilliant win by the end of the night. What about going into the game? Did you sense anything in the rooms before the game to say, oh, I don't know if we're on tonight? Did you think that you were going to come out 
that slow out of the blocks? Uh, not at all, Dad. We knew we were playing a really quality opposition, and we knew there were some key areas of the game that we needed to get right. And you know, they're in, they're a really good surge from stoppage team. Um, when they get the ball in their half of the ground, they win a lot of contests, and that's where they've been so dominant in the last seven weeks. And um, you know, in that first half, they were winning a lot of contests ahead of the footy. Um, you know, their forwards were marking the ball, and if they weren't, they were you know might be an upper ground level. So. Um, that was their strength heading into the game, and that was on show. So it was a matter of how we could turn that around in the second half. Goody Leper here. Well done, mate. Good win. Um, you know, just after half time, obviously, the, and it was spoken about after the game, you put a lot more speed on the ball and broke a line. Did, did you think if you were able to break that front line of the lines and drive through, you'll get opportunities at the back? They don't sort of play that goalkeeper type defender like a lot of other teams. Do so you think that's where your opportunities were? Yeah, look, we did. We thought. Early in the game, we were pretty boring with the ball effort from the back half. We should have were certainly a lot along down the line, a lot of control, um, and sort of wasn't really playing the game that we really wanted to. And, um, you know, we got some better turnovers early in that third quarter, and our half-back started to really join in. And um, there's no question that, you know, our forward's ability to reset and, you know, the speed of Spargo, New Bull and Pickett, so they came to the fore. And, um, you know, we got the game certainly in a transition game, which we, we liked. Yeah, and it was just evident in the first half, Brisbane holding that ball up in the front half of their ground, waiting to get all their numbers in before they delivered in. And there was a real focus on Jake Levy. You could see trying to hold him down. He only had the four intercepts when he averages around 11 or 12. Did, were you happy with that strategy? There was times where it looked like Hipwood was grabbing a bit and they, they made a real focus. Did, have you watched it? And Have you happy with the, some of the strategies that were used? Yeah, look, we knew that was going to take place. You know, that you know they're going to put a lot of time to some of our key defenders. But we also know that Brisbane like to play that way. They like to hold the ball up and, and get those deeper entries and really make your tools accountable and, and make it an aerial battle. So we knew that's what we're up against. And, you know, I thought they executed their game in the first half incredibly well. And um, you know, But I thought our boys also responded. So, um, yeah, they're going to put some time into guys like Jake and, and Steve and the like. So um, we've just got to make sure we can adapt and be ready to go. Just coaching from the band, I'm just intrigued. I think everyone is. We've got two coaches, you know, really both really good teams, obviously top four teams coaching from the band. What, what, what is that? What's the difference? Is it just take more trust to, to back in your assistance up in the box to give you the information? Why is that work for you and, and Melbourne? Yeah, look, I think it's really, you know, I've got a lot of trust in the coaches. We've got obviously got some experienced guys in Adam Uze, Troy Chaplin, Greg Stafford, you know, and, and Alan Richardson that sit up in the box. And we're really clear on the method of how we want to play. Um, and I guess for the reason for me being down on the bench is, is pretty simple for me. I want to make sure that I'm close to the players. I can you know, have influence over what transitions from the box to the ground. And obviously with not much crowd at the moment, it certainly helps. But just being there to give the players energy, communicate in a way that's positive to keep them in a moment where they can reset and, and deliver on field. And um, I think it's one thing having the knowledge in the box, but it's how it translates on the field is as important. And um, I've got enormous trust in the coaches upstairs to, to look at the game and, and see the right changes that need to be made. So it's not for just, you know, calming Choco Williams down <laughs> on, on the bench. It's not... <laughs> no, he provides a good bit of energy, Choco. <laughs> is any good stories um, from you know, last night? Great strength is building belief. What was that? Any good stories from last night? <laughs> oh, no, no, he's... Uh, He's, he's pretty calm now. He certainly talks money to our players and gets them in a, in a great state of belief and understanding around what's required. And, um, you know, you've obviously worked with him. Where he's, uh, he provides a real passion and energy to a group and, and that permeates through the whole building. Goody, you speak about speaking to the leaders at halftime. I would assume that's probably five to seven of the leaders within the football club. But I want to ask you about Tom McDonald and the feeling you have towards his current form from where he's been from, both the good and the bad, 
to what you're seeing on a regular basis now and the, and the confidence you have in him? Yeah, look, Tommy's been a, a terrific story and obviously a really well-documented one you know, from his journey from the end of last year through to where he sits today. And um, It's one of maturity, it's one of understanding you know, and, and taking real ownership in your own um, ability. And um, you know, I've got a really strong relationship with Tommy. At the end of the year, it was a really open discussion about where his footy was at, whether it was going to be at our club, whether it was going to be somewhere else. But the work that he put in and the plan that he put together around himself and his ownership towards his own game um, it's been extraordinary and um, to come out and deliver what he's doing on such a consistent basis, it, it really has come down to his preparation, the way he trains and um, the mindset that he's in. I heard Clayton Oliver speak post-game last night and he spoke a lot and it sounded like it had come from your messaging. It was about being a really good teammate and they got they drilled down and said, what does that mean? What's the messaging to the group about being a good teammate and what does that look like on the field from your perspective? Yeah, well, we had some really strong conversations at the, the end of last season around what was going to really help us transition into being the team that we wanted to be. And, and a lot of that revolved around becoming more selfless and, and better teammates. And it's the little things, the, 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 the things that people won't necessarily see. It's the buy into the team defence. It's the, the how we communicate with each other. It's the, you know, in a way that gets a response is how you receive that feedback and communication is, you know, doing a, a block at a stoppage. It's just being able to perform your role and not just be about possession. Um, there's a whole range of different things and little things that are different for different guys in different positions. But the the fundamental is building an environment and a team ethos that, um, you know, we communicate and act in a way with body language and discipline that would show that we're, we're a team that's together and united and connected. Well, all those things are absolutely happening at the moment. The other one I'm interested in, Goody, is the forward line and, you're blessed with so many options. Clearly, Ben Brown's not in the team at the moment. Are you liking the dynamic, or are you still feeling like you're trying to see what the best formula will be going forward? Yeah, look, it's still a work in progress. There's no no question about that. You know, it's probably the first time for nearly the whole season we've had probably the three same tools that have operated in the forward line together, and um, you can just see week by week it's starting to build that cohesion. Um, you know, but we also know that we're very open-minded to, to what that personnel looks like and also what that method looks like. You know, early in the season, it was two tall forwards uh, with Jackson and McDonald, and you know, we've added a third you know, with Ben Brown, and then in came Wiedemann as well. So um, we're still working what that best mix looks like, but at the moment, we're starting to build that cohesion and an understanding of, of how we want to enter the ball inside 50. Uh, Simon, Sam Edmund here. Thanks for your time this afternoon. We speak a lot about the stars in the team, obviously the established players. But I want to ask you about a couple of uh, your younger guys. James Jordan, I think he had 13 touches in the second half last night. And even Tom Sparrow, I suppose it shows if you get to train and live alongside good players, you get better quicker, which which Melbourne wouldn't have had for some time. Yeah, I think they're, they're great examples of your development program and um, where we've been as a footy club, I think you know back you know five years ago, if we had a you know top draft pick or even our first three draft picks, we'd generally get games without really having to prove themselves and develop at BFL level. They just come in and play AFL footy, and sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it can build some habits that aren't necessarily going to stand up. And what James Jordan and, and Tom Sparrow have done is they've spent two years of playing VFL footy. They've got some great habits uh, with no pressure of having to come in and play AFL footy. And what they've been able to do now is step in with the habits, the role execution and a bit of the mastery to come in and, and perform roles. And I thought last night, you know, James Jordan, you know, took over the role from Ed Langdon on the wing and performed, you know, to a really, really high level. You know, it's not his natural position, but, you know, performed it to a high level. And Thomas Sparrow, who's been in the VFL for the last five weeks, 
um, had just been knocking the door down, playing some outstanding footy, just came in. I thought he had enormous impact when he was in the midfield in the second half. And just on the other end of the age spectrum, if you like, Jake Melksham's been around for a long time, of course. Did you give him a job after half-time? He would have been one of your other statesmen. I assume you would have put some heat on in the second half. Yeah, look, he's performed a number of little roles throughout for us, you know, for for a number of weeks now, just you know, at certain times in games. But you know, last night wasn't that that time. But he, um, you know, he's slowly working his way into form. You know, I thought last night was a little bit quieter, but the, the weeks before that, he was starting to build his game in the right direction. Is there any way back for Nathan Jones, Simon? Absolutely, there is, Jared. You know, as I said to, to Nathan, we're just going to continue to to pick our best team and. Um, Nathan's challenge is to continue to, to rock up the training to improve and get better and um, you know, we're pretty fortunate at the moment we're relatively healthy outside of Ed Langdon and, um, and Jack Viney um, but Nathan's you know he's been a man of his word he's put in a great summer he's working really hard you know had a little minor hamstring um, a couple of weeks ago but he's back to full fitness now and I'm sure he'll press his claims he's a pretty competitive guy Nathan. And your scenario, Simon, over the past couple of years when you weren't the team that you aspired to be, you, you never shirked responsibility. You, you fronted up in the worst moments when when it didn't happen for you. What is the is there a difference this year between coaching a side that is not what you're hoping it would be and one that, that seems to be meeting the markers that you've planned for for a long time? Yeah, I think you know when you're when you're coaching, you certainly look at obviously short term, but you're also looking at longer term about you know, how your team's developing and where you want it to get to and what are the characteristics you want it to look like. And, um, you know, after 18 of having some success, you know, in, in reaching a prelim final, 19, you know, took a lot out of us in terms of where we were from a, from a development phase. And the last two years has really been about, you know, just re-establishing what we want to be and how we want to perform and where we want to get to. And um, as a coach, you look at that journey, you think, you know, we've got the, the ability to get there um, and you just continue on that path and, um, as much as you know, the, the critics are there on the sh- short-term stuff, um, I'm, I was certainly always looking at the longer-term vision of what our team and club wanted to look like. Are the stresses of the job any fewer when, when the team's going well? Oh, not at all. No, yeah. I think you know, I think everything's the same. The stress, obviously, when you're losing, but when you're winning, there's expectation, and um, I think there's a level, a lot more excitement. Clearly, when you're winning, because you want that expectation, you want that pressure, and you want to be a club and a, a team and have people that want to thrive in that environment. So that's the exciting part for us now. We're continuing to put ourselves in that position, and. You know, at the moment, we're learning all the time about how we step up and thrive under those pressure moments. So it's a torturous job, whether you're winning or losing, <laughs> Simon. <laughs> Sold <enough>. it well. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us on Crunch Time, Simon. All power to you at 11-1. and 1. Good luck for what comes next. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Good Simon Goodwin, the Melbourne coach. And what comes next will be the Queen's birthday at the SCG against Collingwood. Uh, so today's footy conversation for Dometic. Always stay relaxed and hydrated. When, wherever you advent, wherever your adventure takes you with the medic's rugged drinkware. He was good, wasn't he? He was really, really nice. And he's right about the job. Because, <laughs> you like, really in football, you're getting tested every week. Mm. I mean, my kids are doing exams at the moment from home. But that stress, you see them going, getting tested. Well, that's what you're doing. You're literally having a test every week. You're going to get a result. People are going to talk about it. And then you start it all over again. So you're just going through that whole. Mm. That's why it's a pressure cooker. Because, you know, some people just get to go, oh, well, I've got a house to build. I've got seven months to build it. And there's my end result. But not every week it's like, okay, why isn't that done? Why isn't that done? Yeah. All right, the crunch next. Did the mid-season draft work? Should we just when cut was to the it? chase and get the mid-season trade happening? Oh. And the Northern Territory wants a team. That bobbed up. Yeah.
That was a curious week to land. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. They stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X built tough. And for Red Rooster as well, Jared, of course, delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster available at selected restaurants because the rooster's calling. Melbourne winners over the Brisbane Lions to start the round. The next to go is St Kilda and Sydney in the early start. We'll talk Dreamtime in the West before we're done. And we've had a focus on Collingwood and Adelaide's with the Crows fined $50,000 for players failing to wear masks on an aircraft. Staggering. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Justin Lepich and Nick Del Santo with you. The crunch is for Bet with Joel, Australia's number one tipping service. Gamble responsibly. 1-800-858-858. Now, is it possible that everybody ended up unhappy, bar the small group of players who have had their AFL dream either invigorated or reinvigorated by the mid-season draft? Is everyone possible. unhappy? Yep, I think so. The clubs are unhappy. Um, they're unhappy with the AFL. They're unhappy with the nominations process. They're unhappy with the medicals. It's not what the mid-season draft was set up for, was it? I mean, we've got players getting drafted who are six months away from even training. They're injured, they're kids, they're for the long term. The mid-season draft was brought in, am I right, in saying as a, as a safety net for clubs who have been hit hard by injury or to give a, a, an established player a second chance, another avenue back into the game, it wasn't supposed to be a national draft light, was it? And, which is exactly what we've got here. Mm. And it was shambolic, the process that was run, the, the unique nominations process, the, the medical screening, that some kids had to have six medicals. Because the AFL, just uh, to use one club's terminology, wiped their hands in the medical process that they have a centralised process for for the national draft. So you had kids having to do six medicals. It led to a situation where Ned Moore, one of those medicals, he had a heart murmur, went back to the AFL, then got disseminated out to the clubs two hours before the draft. So cue panic stations. The kid's got a heart issue. Obviously, he's fine, thankfully, and he's, he's been drafted by the Gold Coast Suns. But... Th- no one was happy with it, Jared. I can't find anyone, as you say, apart from the kids who are lucky enough to be taken. So how do we get lost in this scenario, Lepo? Is, is Richmond used it really well with Marlon Pickett. It mm. should be the – that should be the gold standard. A player we want to bring in for specific needs right now to play the remainder of the season. Or we've got four injuries in the ruck. We need to go and get a ruckman from somewhere around the country to fill the breach. Yeah, I, I probably think, and that's where Richmond were at that point in time to get someone to maybe help them for grand final day. So that's fine. But I, if you are North Melbourne, you're not getting someone to help you for grand final day, are you? So maybe the Marlott Pickett thing doesn't. And this is where I probably disagree a little bit because it's another opportunity to imp- improve. You're near the bottom. If I don't see the issue if you're getting someone for the longer term. It's just you get another opportunity to. It probably flies in the face of everyone, everything I'm saying. If I'm saying it should be used for one particular reason because I think we need more opportunity to just let people do their jobs. Mm which means list managers, more opportunities for you to get more people, more opportunities to trade them if you would like to trade them, and more opportunities to bring new people in to make your list better. Like that, That's sort of my philosophy. So to me, the more mechanisms you can do, and it's up to them if they wanted to, to get a Marlon Pickett um, or a young kid. It's, it's up to them depending on their list strategy. I don't think we should sit here and decide what it's used for. You put the mechanism there, and they're, they're the people employed to do it. If they get it wrong, they're the ones getting the chop. So, um, yes, I don't think it's anything we bring in can't can't have a asterisk next for it. We're only bringing in a draft with this asterisk. Yeah. We're only doing this with an asterisk. I think that's it's got to go. We've got to let these people do their jobs, and if they get it wrong, they get it wrong, and they get shown the door. But the, the more we sort of give them reasons to do something, I'm probably not into that. It feels like each club goes into this time of year with a purpose. So for the Tigers and the Pickett scenario, it was for the next short term. But if you're right, if you're probably North Melbourne, you haven't probably got the gist of what the AFL has brought this or introduced this for. It's, hey, it's in the short term. 
North Melbourne aren't looking short term. No. There's a lot, lot of football clubs thinking, well, we don't really need this person right now for the last 11 games. We may need them next year. We may need them the year after. And this is our first opportunity to get our hands on these guys. And you think, Sammy, like, if they pick a player that might be picked, 10 in the draft at the end of the year, yeah. well, they don't have to ask for a priority pick now, do they? Yeah. No, because they're, 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 they're getting that player that they don't have to... So it actually makes the competition a bit more free-flowing. Then you can say, no, North, you don't get a priority pick. You get first pick in the mid-season. Use it well because that's what you get as an advantage. So, But sharpen up the process at least. Then. Yeah. If it's going oh, to be process, sharpen yeah. it up. And, yeah. and would we not want a mid-season trade? Yeah, pick? well... That's well, obviously most of what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't see, I, I really How don't. How good would that be? Well, I, I don't see the difference. Um, Matthew Parker's a great example. Last year, he was at St Kilda. He was delisted. He's flying all the way back to Perth to live. Yeah. Now he's six months later, got to fly all the way back again and live in Richmond. So he's been flown around the, the world in the last six months. The AFLPA would say, well, the reason we don't want mid-season trades is because we don't want to unsettle our players. Well, you've just unsettled one by bringing him into the system. What's the difference between yeah. unsettling him, moving from club to club? The only difference is one's in the system, one's out of the system. So, um, yeah, I, I think it should be opened up a bit more. We've got a little bit more mature about this. Um, and if it's an issue welfare, economy-wise, that we should support that in whichever way we possibly can. Imagine the interest and the coverage and the excitement over a mid-season trade period. Oh, it's, it would it's go enormous. nuts. It's it a solves a whole lot of issues as you have a full weekend off after round 11. Yep. And you open the trade window on Tuesday morning, so after the Monday night setup, I love it. You schedule the next game for Thursday week. So you close the trade period at 7.30 on Monday night. A big deadline day, prime time audience. So Tuesday morning through to Monday night, you get fever pitch right across the weekend to fuel everything while you have a break. And then a couple of days to digest it all and then into it on Thursday night. Imagine it. What would Geelong give? For, for a quality ruckman at the moment? Would they go back in for Todd Goldstein? Would they go and try to raid uh, Port Adelaide for one of their rucks? Would they go west? It would be... And that's west. 100%. The point is you would pay much more in season than you would at the end of the year. Could win you a premiership. Yes, and the team that you pick up from is going to get way overs mm. from what you would offer them in October. Well, you think of even the, you know, um, North getting uh, the ruckman with pick one. Uh, mm. They might be something Geelong might want, so they might do a trade for that pick. Just on trade or straight on tra- away? On trade, the first pick. Live to, trading. To, for, for someone for that. You know, they might give up a, um, a knock or potentially, you know, because they want they think they rate this kid higher in the long term yeah. than a knock. And you might find scenarios like that. Things we don't, aren't, we're not sure of. But if unless we open up the rules, we won't get what we're not sure of. If we keep capping everything and putting restrictions on everything, uh, we, we won't see the growth in any particular area. Have you got a read on what the, the mood toward it is? Trade period. Yep. I think it's inevitable in time. What the t- if you can ask me a timeline? I've got I've got no idea what the timeline would be. But I think the AFL are open to. I actually think the AFLPA are, are open to it under the right parameters. I think it will come in. Jeez, I hope it comes in this time. But why under year. the right parameters? This what I mean. Lose control. Like yeah. let, let let the game decide what it. Because at the end of the day, if the club doesn't want you, they're going to list you in three months anyway. Mm. You'd rather go to a club where the coach want you. Think hey, if you were going the there, converted lever. If, if if I'm getting traded to Fremantle, it's because Justin Longmuir wants, wants me, me. Yep. and put me on. Not because and the current club doesn't want me. Is as, as simple as that. So why would you stay in a place that doesn't want you? So I've would never, you go? Would you I've go? Full, that. Would you go whole, whole hog? Trade well, him without consent. 
Well, yeah, you know, a lot of ways because, you know, you've got a salary cap to deal under. Yeah, you're not going to trade players going to make it worse. Which we're seeing at the moment, clubs are hard up. So Collingwood might want yeah. to make an early trade That's to get, right. get ahead of the game before the end get of the season. Get ahead of the game before the end of the season. Now they've got to wait till the end of the year to do all this. And from my experiences, clubs are really good at supporting those people, whether it be through move, whether it be through welfare, whatever it may be. Football clubs are some of the best places in the world to help you, support you through that transition. So if you are the Matty Parker scenario, they'll do everything they can to make right. him feel comfortable as quickly as possible for him and his family to come back into the AFL system. They do that for anybody. The Northern Territory launched its bid for a team, which the, the timing was incredibly curious. <laughs> so there's obviously been a lot of work done in the background and the preparation of a report to put publicly. Now, the Northern Territory's best way into the competition is if Tasmania gets approved for 19 and then instantly you go, hey, we're ready to be 20, by the way. Because would they, would they have 19 without 20? Well, I think for a short period of time not, it would be, not but you'd be looking for a solution. Yep. So you sort of piggyback, and the Colin Carter report might be sort of in the next six to eight weeks. Yep. You go, let's let that baby land and go, hey, we heard you had a problem with 19 teams. Guess what? We'll be your 20th <laughs> team, and we've done all this work in the background. It was such a strange week to land it from a attraction point of view where – we are distracted in so many different directions trying to get this weekend played, let alone 2026 planned. Mm. Well, there had been murmurings for a time. They did pop their head up, uh, you know, last year in regards to a new team, but certainly in the form of something formal in this case, which which, which was based on, you know, social impact as its key objective, which is hugely admirable, mind you, but it did seem to come out of nowhere. I don't think there's anyone that doesn't like the idea of a team in the NT. You play half your games in the Alice, half of them in Darwin. Imagine how powerful it would be to have players who have been lost to the system, Indigenous players who perhaps can, can have a, a, the career that we all thought they could have and deserved in a far more sort of uh, familiar environment, if you like, with all the cultural reasons at play. It, it, could, it could work immensely, but just sort of came out of nowhere with everything we're dealing with at the moment, with COVID, with uh, Colin Carter and Tasmania. Yeah, it and it made it feel like they're after the 19th licence. And you go, hang on, hang on, let, let Tassie run its course. And then, I mean, Alistair Clarkson's already said is, is that's the, once we do Tassie, we do Northern Territory mm. immediately afterward. There, there have been sort of numerous public voices on that. I thought there was just a sentiment to ride that they probably missed. Uh, anyway, it <laughs> might count for <laughs> the timing. The, the timing was odd, but I, I think it's terrific that if we want to be a truly a national competition, the It'd idea great, is, I mean, the perfect world is you've got teams that are perfectly spread apart all over the country. Well, it's not the case. We've got eight teams were touching suburbs in, yeah. in Melbourne at the moment. So it's not how you'd footprint an actual um, national competition. I think it's terrific. But, Dale, going back, you're the, you're the been the recently retired player. If you had to pick, you know, going to live in a Tassie one-degree mm. game in Hobart <laughs> or you had to go the other way, NT... 29, 30 degree middle. Which, which one are you going well, if you're a young player? You can see my skin colour from the <laughs> other side of this desk. I'm probably better suited to Tasmania's weather than I am Northern Territory's. Um, oh, the, the location would be an interesting one, but the counter argument to that is it's no further from Darwin to Melbourne as it is probably from Perth to Melbourne. Like it's not a geographical issue. Maybe mm. the flights are less common. I'm not you know across all that. I don't think they'd ever have a retention issue. Now, like you think about the amount of good players that have come out of the Northern Territory. And the ability to say, hey, I want to go home. Or they've been traded interstate. I want to go home. It, it could be a brilliant thing. And I do agree. And just to, you know, just touch on it. The timing's unusual. It felt like if you guys, if you're talking about it, and mention us as well in there somewhere, because we'd like to be a part of this conversation. I just thought they went about it in an unusual way and probably didn't get as much traction as what it possibly could have. Which way is the breeze blowing on Tassie? It's positive. But Colin Carter's been down there, obviously, at a... a, a 
a big uh, three-day trip uh, not too long ago, last month. Uh, his review, as you said, expected to be completed by mid-July, and that document will be considered by the league's 18 presidents later on this year. He has raised a couple of concerns, but the people down there say it's trending in a positive direction. He did raise, interestingly, the size of the market in Tasmania as, as a legitimate concern, and, and that was put to him, well, hey, you were president of Geelong, which has half our population. You've been pretty successful. Uh, the Green Bay Packers win Super Bowls in mm. the NFL. That's a small population as well. And he is drilling right into the um, allegation or the suggestion that the declining participation rates down there, just how severe are they? And obviously the task force report into a team in Tasmania did base a lot of it on if we have our own team, build it and they will come and that will solve the issue of football becoming potentially irrelevant down in Tasmania. So he's questioning that. AFL Tasmania is saying it's not all doom and gloom. We can turn it around. So some more data being fielded on that. But he's got his concerns, but I think it's trending. If you're Tasmania and you want a team down and they're in a pretty positive direction, Jared. This is the crunch for bed with Joel. Transparent results driven sports tips. Gamble responsibly. one 858 Carlton on our horizon. West Coast. The Saints. Dreamtime in the West. All up for discussion. Oh. Who needs a rever for Harley Heaven? The Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne. Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. Today's Harley Heaven rev up for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson, is St Kilda. That's what it feels like from, uh, you know, the, the, what it feels like inside is completely different to what the, uh, the narrative is, is outside because we're five and six. Yes, we understand the, the inconsistency of our performances and, and what we've done through our games, which is not acceptable, but you know, we're, we're five and six and you know, we'll get a few of these players back in the next few weeks and it might be post-buy that we get them back. But you know, for us as a, as a group, um, you know, we're not listening to the, the narrative outside. You know, we've, we've got the ball in our court, as everybody keeps saying um, internally, so it's up to us. But you know, there's still a lot of footy to be played and um, a lot to get out and um, you just never know. But um, yeah, we, we don't... We don't sort of listen to the, you know, the woes, the Saints' woes and all that. We're, we've, we've played some, you know, you've got to win. We've virtually nearly won half our games and, and hasn't played that well this season. So um, we've, we have some opportunities in the next few weeks and, and then post the bye as well. I absolutely love this as a coaching mechanism. Ignore everything that's been said from within the club, from the president, as we're not in contention this year, we never planned to be, to the GM of footy who sort of owned it all and the talk of embarrassing and unacceptable from the coach in his post-match to go, nah, nah, that whoa, that's all outside. Is that five and six, <laughs> these next two games, that's our path to seven and six. This is brilliant coaching, Lepa. He's given us the Yoda, hasn't he? This is, he's sort of waved the yeah. wand in front of our eyes and forget about anything else you heard. These aren't <laughs> the droids you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting strategy. But look, I guess you've got to do that as a coach to, to, to minimise the distraction because the reason when you're sitting there, and you, you, what you want to focus on, our ball movement, you want to focus on our defence, you want to focus on these things. So the players walk in saying, oh, did you see the letter that the president wrote and did you see? And they're talking about everything else. You want to minimise as much of that distraction as you can. So it's a smart move. They've got some issues and obviously their injuries are their big thing. It's a very difficult position to be when you don't have a lot of talent to pick from from week to week. I feel where Rats is at the moment and again, we're a difficult game against a good opposition. Mm. So, Dale, this is Bob talks about living the delusion. You have to live the delusion, and <laughs> this do. is it beautifully playing out in front of us. You do, and you believe what you tell yourself. To, to some yeah. point, you're a product of your environment, and all of a sudden, it's in our hands once again. And I was thinking about this driving in this morning, and 
this game being moved and what it means for the football club. They've still got seven teams for the remainder of this year that are currently in the top eight. So it's not going to get a lot easier from here. But you also think about how much good football they've played this year. I can only really think of a half, and it was against the West Coast Eagles, and that second half was a beautiful thing. It was a thing of beauty, the way that they changed that game. But outside of that, you're probably hanging on moments or you're hanging on passages as a play or blocks within a quarter. It's, it hasn't been a four-quarter effort. We've, we've all done that as coaches. The think Bucks is sitting there telling his boys, we are the best 2-9 team that's <laughs> yeah. ever, ever played the game. Yeah. Like, you, you start doing stuff like that. Yeah, you like do. Because it's about all – you know we've won, you know, the the, the – Tenth most amount of quarters yeah. for the season. Yeah. Like you start convincing yourself with all these odd statistics that bob up, where you find yourself somewhere near the middle of the pack. But the thing of beauty with that is, when you are going really well, you actually go the opposite, and you actually sort of play the group on the threat that you can't continue this. So when you're going poor, you're finding all these things that are positive when you know clearly they're not. Yeah. But on the flip side, when you're going well, it's well the opposition are a really good team on their day, knowing full well that you're going to thump them when the weekend comes <laughs> yeah, around. We'll see how it plays out today. What do you Terry? do at Richmond now? You've only won three flags. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hey, no one's done four. <laughs> Have you got late change news? Yeah, no late changes, Jared. So the Saints just having a run around on the SCG as we speak, where Tom Highmore is the medical sub, and James Bell will uh, will fulfil that duty for the Swans. So Carlton West Coast has this become mm. the the just don't come Monday if you don't win this game. For the boys. Well, yeah, it's 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 hard because it's hard for. I mean, I guess West Coast have some excuses now with all their outs that they have. It's just a, he's oh. getting ravaged by um, injury. But yes, yeah, so in a lot of ways for Carlton, it's like yeah, this is your go, isn't it? You got a team that don't travel well generally um, and perform, and now you get this opportunity uh, and they're, they're damaged. So you'd like to think Carlton can get this done. You want them to be a bit methodical, just just squeeze the life out of them and get the win. That's what you'd be looking for if you're a Carlton You had a, a saying a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about it on this, don't call in on Monday morning if you don't beat Hawthorne. This is to the, yeah. the Blue supporters. If you don't beat them by, I think it was around 50-odd points. You said they deserve and they should be that much better. They weren't that particular day. What's your number this week for the West Coast Eagles? No, just win. Just win? Yeah, there's no threshold to it. Well, But don't, don't come Monday if you don't win. I've tipped the West Coast Eagles. Well, they haven't won at the SCG since 1999, West Coast. Immediately, everyone's been playing Sydney at the duration of that time. They'd never be more vulnerable than they are at the moment. When you consider the outs, Oscar Allen's out, Duggan, Kelly, McGovern, Shuey, Witherden. It goes on and on. Jared Cameron. Uh, that They are as bare bone. This is almost as much Swan Districts as it is West Coast. Well, so something has to give, Sammy, because the West Coast Eagles haven't won at the SCG, as you mentioned, since 1999, but they haven't lost to Carlton since 2014. <laughs> I prefer the former stat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be interesting, won't it? And the Blues, obviously, Zach Fisher, they get back as well, who's uh, a vital part of that forward mix. So they just have to win this game, Jared mm. Carl. Have to win. Yeah, yeah. Just go out and They're be... They're favourite to win. Be, uh, heavy favourites. Just go out and be a professional team. Get it done. Um, if only with that simple. Dream time. Yes. Lots to look forward to. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited about this. And, it's, and look, I, I just love the fact that we get back to the big freeze game and we get back to this game and the, the excitement it's bought and the fact that we've got a full house. It just makes you think, uh, are we not selling ourselves short having all the great games at the MCG? But could, could these things, and you've seen it in, in past in many places, sell big-time games to places and make money out of it? This is COVID times. I mean, we have shifted the Dreamtime game to Darwin, not for monetary purposes, but a lot of your big games, you, you can actually, um, you know, make them bigger in other states. Dal, thank you. Thank you. Lovely Crunch you time. All. So you can give us a ring now on the open line, one 736 736 for Southern Phone. Switch to Southern Phone. Simplify your life with Southern Phone mobile plans. All that we've discussed and more on Crunch Time, the day in footy, what's to come tomorrow, the COVID overlay, the 
Melbourne at 11 and 1. The Lions just a little setback after seven in a row in the Collingwood situation. They are a spectacle, just not on the field for the moment. Adelaide's fine. It's all up for discussion. one 736 736 This has been crunch time for the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. They stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X. Built tough.